We have to understand that when we're using digital media, we're participating in a network. It's not the same thing as old school media and that we have to be aware of the ways in which the tools we use influence how we use them. Welcome everyone to the Literacy Quebec podcast, a podcast for lifelong literacy learners in Quebec. Literacy is more than just knowing how to read and write. It's about being able to interact with the world around you to your fullest potential. We're your hosts, Jamie Cudmore and Chris Shee. Welcome everyone to the third episode of season three of the Literacy Quebec podcast. I'm without my co-host today, Chris Shee, because his wife just gave birth this weekend and we are so happy for him. So congratulations and we are thinking about you and your family. Today on our podcast, we continue our series on the election, civic literacy. The election's coming up on October 21st. And so our theme for this month has been talking about literacy and civic engagement. Our last episode, we discussed what was civic literacy and how to participate in the election. And continuing this theme, today we are talking about media literacy. This week, October 7th to the 11th, is Media Literacy Week. This topic is perfect for the election season with the flood of advertisements, social media posts, news reports, all of the information we are getting every single minute of the day about the election in Canada. There are so many messages that the political parties and lobbyists and people in our family and our friends are trying to spread to get your attention. But how do we know what is fact and how do we know what is fiction? We discussed today what media literacy is, why it is important to read and view messages with a critical and questioning eye and ear. Today we are speaking with Matthew Johnson, the Director of Education from Media Smarts, and Angelina Lego from Gaspazi Literacy Council. They give us some insights and tips on developing our media literacy savvy so we can strengthen our ability to know what are facts and what are misleading messages during this election season and also during our everyday lives. How do we know what sources to trust? How do we know what's right? What is fake news? Also on our show, as part of our election series, we will be talking about voting basics. Last week, we talked about how to register to vote. In this episode, we will be talking about voting early in the advanced polls. So if you can't make it on election day, this segment is for you. We will close our podcast as we always do with some upcoming events from our members. And we will post, as always, our links on our show notes and on our blog. So have a listen. This is a great episode. I'm very excited to be sharing this with you. As I mentioned at the top of our show, our first guest is Matthew Johnson from Media Smarts. Matthew helped us to define in our interview what is media literacy and why it is so important to develop skills to understand fake news and what is the truth. This year to celebrate Media Literacy Week, Media Smarts has started Break the Fake Campaign, which offers resources to help strengthen our media literacy skills. We will post instructions to use fact checker websites, to know some more of the tips they offer, and also to the other resources they have, such as lesson plans, posters, videos. I'm not sure if you remember the House Hippo video from a few years ago, but they've made a new series which helps us understand how easy it is to make videos, advertisements that are misleading. So before we jump into our interview with Matthew, have a listen to the audio from Break the Fakes campaign with their updated House Hippo video. As night falls, 37 million Canadians turn out their lights and settle down for the night. But as we sleep, there's something interesting going on. House hippos have returned to Canadian homes, but they're extremely hard to spot. They enjoy admiring their reflections, hoarding socks, helping themselves to your devices, and annoying your pets. It looks like Canada has a house hippo problem. Or do we? 
We brought back the house hippo to show how easy it is to be fooled in our digital world. Find out how to tell what's real and what's not at breakthefake.ca. That's a great video to help us start thinking about how easy it is now more than ever to make something as absurd as a house hippo seem very real. It makes me wonder what else is out there that I assume is real just because it is circulating in the news or I've scrolled past it fast on a Facebook feed. And to introduce Matthew, here is an excerpt from his bio on the Media Smarts website. Matthew Johnson is the Director of Education for Media Smart. He's the author of many of the Media Smart lessons, parent materials, and interactive resources. He is an acknowledged expert in digital literacy and its implementation in Canadian curricula. He's also the architect of Use, Understand, Create, Digital Literacy Framework for Canadian K-12 Schools. He has also contributed blogs and articles to websites and magazines around the world, as well as presenting Media Smarts materials on topics such as copyright, cyberbullying, body image, and online hate to parliamentary committees, academic conferences, and governments, as well as organizations around the world. So have a listen to this great interview. We're here with Director of Education Matthew Johnson from Media Smarts. Welcome to the Literacy Quebec podcast. Thank you. Do you mind introducing a little bit about yourself, your role, and tell us more about Media Smarts? Absolutely. Um, I'm the Director of Education for Media Smarts, and what that really means is that I either create or oversee the creation of all of our resources, um, and that includes uh, parent resources, lesson plans for teachers, resources for young people to use themselves, um, research projects, educational video games, really a really wide range of free resources that are available in both English and French on our website, mediasmarts.ca. Because at MediaSmarts, our mission uh, as a Canadian nonprofit is to ensure that Canadian children and youth uh, have the critical thinking skills that they need to understand and actively engage with all of the media that they use. And increasingly, we know that uh, it's a challenge for the adults in kids' lives to provide them with the support that they need, because in many ways, the digital world is a new landscape for all of us. So we have been increasingly producing uh, resources to be used by adults for themselves uh, as well, rather than necessarily as being uh, a way of preparing them to uh, help their kids or their students. Excellent. Thanks, Matthew, for sharing that. Can you explain to us what is digital and media literacy? How much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> really, media literacy is something that has been pretty much settled for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting to note that Canada is uh, a world leader in media literacy. Um, Ontario was the first jurisdiction in the world that we know of that had media literacy in the official curriculum. And Canada, so far as we know, was also the first country in the world to have media literacy in the official curriculum of every jurisdiction. So today, media literacy is part of the official curriculum of every single province and territory in Canada. And what media literacy is fundamentally is the ability to engage critically with media. So it begins with the key concept that media are constructions, that they're not reflections of reality, that there's something that was made by someone, they were made for a purpose, and they reflect the attitudes, the beliefs, and in particular, the assumptions of the people that created them. And they reflect as well the social and commercial pressures that went into them. We know that most media are created to make money, and even when they don't, they cost money to make. And we know as well, because we can never entirely convince our unconscious selves that media aren't real, media also have social and political implications. We take uh, a lot of our views of what reality is from media. Um, and so the most disposable medium, the most disposable media text will have a social and political meaning, if only by who is the protagonist. But of course, media literacy is aimed very much at helping people um, 
engage with that critically so that we can ask questions about that. And in some cases, we can see the questions that the people who made the media maybe didn't ask. Maybe does this main character have to be male? Is it really true that uh, boys will only go see movies or watch TV shows with uh, male lead characters? In fact, we know that's not true. So these unasked questions, identifying those and asking critical questions of our own are the heart of media literacy. Now, every single bit of that is true of digital media as well. So we see digital literacy as being an outgrowth of media literacy because there is a fundamental difference between digital media and traditional media. In traditional media, you as an audience are at the end of a chain. It starts with the people making it, then someone distributes it and brings it to you, and that's it. You consume it, maybe you talk to other people about it, maybe if you really engage, you write a letter or something like that, send an email, but fundamentally it's a one-way relationship and it ends with you. But right. digital media is different. Digital media is networked. We're not at the end of a chain. We're in the middle of an infinite network. All of us are at the middle because the network is functionally infinite. And so no matter what, we are always sending things back. Now, sometimes that's conscious, like when we're participating in social media and we're posting photos or whatever. Sometimes it's an interaction with other people, like in an online video game. Sometimes it's unconscious. So when we're doing something like watching Netflix, which feels very much like a traditional media experience, we're still sending data back because Netflix is watching us. Uh, Netflix knows what you watched. It knows how long you watched it. It knows which shows you gave up on and which ones you binged. So you're always sending things back. And that is the major difference, and that has huge numbers of ramifications. It means, for instance, that the role of distributors as gatekeepers, the people who used to bring us uh, media, has changed completely uh, and become much diminished. And that's why we get information from so many more sources than we used to. And it's devalued the role of authorities and experts, again, because anyone can share their content online. And because the cost of creating media online is so low and the cost of distributing it, distributing it is mm. close to zero, anyone can create a professional looking website, can call themselves an institute or a university and so on. Mm. And the other major influence that's relevant to what we're talking about today is that because digital media are two way, because they're always interactive in some way, the tools that we use when using digital media influence how we use them. And that can be anything from the architecture, uh, how it's built. Um, so for instance, how uh, Google responds to our searches compared to another search engine, what tools are available to us in Google. Every now and then Google will change a search operator and I have to relearn how to do an advanced Google search all over again and I have to go back and revise all of our tip sheets. Yeah, yeah. But also, it's on the level that we don't see of things like the algorithms that deliver content to us. Um, and that's increasingly important because we know, for instance, on YouTube, 70% of YouTube views are not something that someone chose. 70% of views are someone just watching what is recommended in the up next bar. So two thirds of the content that people are watching on YouTube is being delivered to them algorithmically. So that is a huge influence mm. on how we use media. Um, and that's true with every tool that we use. Every single one has been optimized in that way. And we've seen many times that just small tweaks to this al these algorithms can have a huge influence on things like misinformation, uh, online hate, advertising. And in many cases, even the people who have created these algorithms don't fully know how they work because they're designed, they're created through machine learning. Um, so they create the basic frame and they sort of tell the algorithm the desired outcome and that's what they tweak. Um, and they may tweak the inputs, but fundamentally it is the algorithm itself deciding how to get there. And so having a clear understanding of that is very similar to having that fundamental understanding in traditional media uh, that media are constructed, that we have to understand that when we're using digital media, we're participating in a network. It's not the same thing as old school media and that 
we have to be aware of the ways in which the tools we use influence how we use them. Wow, you bring Amazing. up really good points about the tension between how with social media, with different new types of media coming in with digital media, how there's a give and take. So it, in one sense, it's amazing that more people can participate. Uh, the reduction of a divide between elites who have expert knowledge and other people who have different kinds of knowledge who can come together and share and inform each other. But then there's so much out of the control and uh, sometimes within the, the algorithms that you're saying, it's presenting information that's so that you might be in a bubble, even though there's much more access to much more information. Understanding how these systems work really is important. Mm -hmm. And it's important to say, too, that there are positives to yeah. all of these. Sure. Um, and that the, it can be very difficult to separate out the positives and the negatives. So we know, for instance, that the communities that are most likely to value social media as a source of news are the communities that were traditionally underrepresented in journalism. Mm -hmm. um, so African-Americans, for instance, we don't have Canadian data on this, but based on data from the United States, African-Americans are more likely to value social media like Twitter as a source of news because they have a lifetime of not seeing their issues and their lives reflected in mass media. So there are a lot of positive sides to these changes, but we do have to understand these changes. Um, I think the net benefit in the long run is going to be positive, um, but it's going to depend on preparing everybody, especially youth, preparing them to take responsibility and to understand that they have power in this relationship in a way that they did not before, uh, much more power than they had with traditional media. Wow, that's right. Mm. And it's good lead into the next question. Um, this year's Media Literacy Week, which is October 7th to the 11th, coincides with the election. But um, I wanted to know if you could talk about what the connections are between being media literate and civic engagement. They're more important than ever. Uh, media literacy, of course, has always been key to civic engagement because very few of us get political information directly from the source. We get it mediated. We get it through media sources. Um, and so being able, again, to understand um, the influences on journalism or just the structure of journalism, what's called news literacy. Um, there's been research that's found that just understanding how the news business works just understanding, for instance, who it is in a newsroom that assigns a story, who decides whether something's worth covering or not, what the difference is between an anonymous and a confidential source, just understanding these kind of nuts and bolts things about news media makes people much, much better able to engage critically with news, but also to tell the difference between legitimate news and misinformation. So adding on to that, of course, today we have um, digital literacy because, once again, we're getting our news now at a further remove. So it used to be, of course, we didn't get it directly from the source. We got it from a newspaper or TV news, and many people still get it from those sources, but they tend to get it indirectly. Um, relatively few people will go to a website um, of, you know, the CBC website or the Globe and Mail website or the National Post website. They'll get this these articles shared with them either by uh, friends or other contacts or sometimes will be shared with them algorithmically. So for instance, if you use the Apple or the Google News app, mm -hmm. things get shared with you that they think you're going to be interested in. And so we have an added burden now. Um, we have to do the job that journalists and editors used to do for us. And that is to tell, well, where is this coming from? So, you know, when your Uncle Fred shares a story with you on Facebook or wherever, yeah. our instinct is to trust Uncle Fred. But the fact is that uh, we can't. We have to do a little more digging. We have to figure out, well, where did Uncle Fred get it? Because we all make mistakes. Right? So we have to go in and we have to say, okay, where did this come from? And if it's not a source that we already recognize as being reliable, we need to take another 30 seconds. And really, we're, that's all we're talking about. We're talking about 30 seconds to like two minutes tops. Take another 30 seconds, do a search and say, who is this source? Is this reliable? 
And I always use the example of Australian newspapers, right? So if you someone shared an article with you from an Australian newspaper, most likely, and maybe I'm talking to the wrong person here, <laughs> but in most cases, um, if you're not Australian, um, you wouldn't know whether it's the Australian version of the New York Times or the Australian version of the National Enquirer. So you have to do a little bit of extra work. You do a little Google search, you go to Wikipedia, and you check and see, well, how is this viewed? And if you don't find anything, well, that's a bad, bad sign. Uh, if you do find something, then you kind of weigh it. You say, well, what's this thing? What's this paper's track record? What's their, uh, do they have, are they known to have a bias? That's not necessarily a bad thing. Almost everybody has some kind of bias, but what kind of a track record do they have of mitigating, uh, getting around that bias? And we also, of course, have the ability, thanks to the internet, to use online tools uh, so we can use fact-checking tools like uh, Snopes uh, or FactsCan to just see if something's been debunked because we know that all the time there are zombie claims going around, claims that have been debunked years ago, but people keep sharing them. There are photos that get spread around. We just had, once again, uh, that famous shark on the highway photo got spread around during Hurricane Dorian. I've seen that photo for 10 years now. <laughs> wow. uh, it goes around every single time there's a storm. Mm. But we also can use the fact that when we're online, you can search 10 newspapers at once. So if you hear or see a story and you see mm, that seems a little too good to be true, you can do check what other sources are saying. It takes you again, 30 seconds a minute. And you can say, did this really happen? And if it did happen, did it happen the way this first source said it did? Are mm. they giving you basically the consensus? Because that really is most of the time what you want. We don't have to be experts. And that really is our message, that you don't have to be an expert fact checker because there are expert fact checkers that you can use. But really what you want to find out is where did something come from? Are they a reliable source? Is there a consensus that something happened and happened more or less as that source puts it? And if you're looking at something like science or uh, health or medicine, does it match the scientific consensus? And if not, how strong is the evidence? Yeah. Excellent. Thank, thanks for sharing, Matthew. Is, is that sort of leading into the next question there in, in terms of your Break the Fake resources yeah. that you're releasing for Media Literacy Week? That's exactly it. So Break the Fake is um, our public awareness campaign uh, to try to get people to take 30 seconds, a minute, maybe a minute and a half, maybe two minutes tops, uh, to get them to understand that it doesn't have to be a big hassle to double check something, but that you always have to do it. Um, because one of the implications of the fact that digital media is networked is that we are all broadcasters. We all have the responsibility that used to only rest in newspapers and TV networks and publishers. Yeah. Every one of us has an influence on the views of people around us and on the general health of the internet and as a result society because we're pretty much all connected now so what this material do is it does is it it lays out the four simple steps that i was just talking about so firstly use fact checking resources and that often is going to be the only thing you have to do um, track something to the original source find the original source of something to make because there's no point in fact-checking it until you know where it's come from. When you find that original source, verify it if it's not one that you already recognize as being reliable. And finally, check other sources. So look for consensus. Again, use those terrific tools. We've created some custom search engines that will search uh, about 10 fact-checking organizations that will search uh, about a dozen science magazines that will search um, about a 10 Canadian newspapers. Um, but there are also existing tools to do that as well. Even in Google, if you switch, if you search for something and just switch over to the news tab from the main search, you get a much more powerful, uh, much more curated result that looks primarily at genuine news sources. So just taking those four steps, each one of them is not going to take you more than 30 seconds or a minute. And that's what we all need to do um, to try to improve the, the health of our information environment. 
I think you're, you're right. And I wonder if you can offer advice to the people who do take the time. I know that it's, it's really hard to think, oh, it's only going to take 30 seconds. It's only going to take two minutes. I'm going to do the fact checking. But do you have any advice for people who want to talk to their uncle who's spreading uh, maybe something that's not true? Because these conversations can get quite combative. Yeah, and we actually have a, an article on our website in, in the reality check section that's all about how you decide um, whether or not to uh, try to debunk something, mm. and if so, what's effective. Um, so there are a couple of different factors that you have to take into consideration. And so the first thing you want to know is, uh, are they arguing in good faith? Um, so if it's someone that you think is maybe not entirely a person, <laughs> if you think it might be a, you know, a bot or someone behaving in a bot-like way, you know, if they, po if they tweet 40 times an hour, it's probably not worth engaging with them. If you think they're really just trying to troll people, probably not trying to engage with them worth trying to engage with them. Um, the other question is, is there an audience? Because when you're debunking somebody, when you're arguing back with somebody, it's not just them that you need to change the mind of. It's not just them that you need to think about. It's the undecided audience. So if you're having a private conversation and someone says something that's wrong, then maybe you're not going to debunk it. Maybe you're not going to push back. But if you know that there are other people who are likely to listen, then you have a bit more of a responsibility. And that's probably the best way to think of it because it's very hard to change people's minds. Um, mm. And people tend to uh, double down. And there's actually some research showing that uh, when people are, are, are debunked, when people are contradicted, they have a tendency to double down. So you're unlikely to change that original poster's mind, but you can change the mind of the undecided people in the audience. When you're debunking, what the evidence suggests is that you want to do it, obviously, in as non-confrontational a way as possible. You don't want to make it about winning and losing. Um, and if at all possible, you want to do it... Um, so that you don't reinforce the original belief. And so what's been recommended by some of the people who've studied this is what's called a truth sandwich. Yeah. Uh, or I guess it's really a, it's really a lie sandwich like because it. the lie is in the middle. <clears throat> what you want is you want to say what is actually true. And then if you feel you have to address the claim and then close again by repeating what is actually true so that um, you kind of bury the myth in the middle, you bury the misinformation in the middle, and there's less of a chance of reinforcing it. Excellent. That's super interesting, isn't it, Jamie? Just to, yeah. to listen to Matthew and the way that that he explains, you know, the decision-making process through media literacy. It's amazing. It's, it's very uh, <laughs> complex, like much more yeah. just from the outside that you might think. And we started not before we started the podcast, we were just talking about how media smarts starts with uh, kids, but you realize that parents also needed some extra resources to um, help themselves and also help um, foster media literacy within the family. Yeah. And uh, what we've really found um, in the last couple of years, since we've been looking closely at misinformation is that it's, it's unfortunately something that really a whole generation um, has has missed being educated in, um, and it's it's the nature of curriculum that it moves slowly. Uh, and so, even though, as I say, Canada is a world leader in uh, media literacy, um, we do have a generation, uh, at least, who learned media literacy in the context of traditional media. And what we now know is that those skills, they're still important, but they've become the second line. Um, and what's the front line now is these very practical uh, skills for recognizing and confronting misinformation in a networked world. And so we have even a generation of people who had uh, you know, an entire school career where they learned media literacy, but never learned this because it's, it's come upon us in many ways so quickly. Yeah, that, that's it, the technological uh, revolution and in terms of 
speed and and uh, how quickly the the information moves is is definitely a, a big factor in it, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So is. Matthew, is there any other thing that you'd like to um, add about media literacy and the services that you offer at Media Smarts? Well, um, just so wanted to make sure that teachers know um, that uh, all of our resources for the classroom are linked to curriculum of each province and territory. Because as I mentioned at the beginning uh, of the podcast, uh, every province and territory has media literacy in the curriculum. And there are also a lot of areas where media and digital literacy are relevant to curriculum, even if they're not precisely named. So, for instance, material about recognizing good information, uh, material about healthy relationships, all of this, of course, relates to the digital world today because that's where young people and indeed most of us are living much of our lives. So we do have charts for every province and territory where you can see uh, curricular expectations and you can see how our material uh, meets that. And we also have created a, um, a uh, curriculum framework that covers seven different aspects of digital literacy, starting with uh, the youngest grades. Um, and it is, I know it in, in the uh, uh, K to 12 context, but we have it in uh, the Quebec context as well. So that uh, for ent people's entire uh, primary and secondary school career, they can uh, learn key digital literacy skills in ways that are appropriate uh, to their emotional and cognitive development. Excellent. Thank, thanks again for sharing that. And how can our listeners learn more and get in touch with you if they want to find out more about the services, about the resources, if they're a teacher, if they want to find out more? So our website, once again, is mediasmarts.ca. Um, in French, that's habilomedia.ca. Uh, and uh, almost everything we offer is available for free there. Um, and uh, if people have questions, uh, they're more than welcome to email me at mjohnson, that's M-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at mediasmarts.ca. Okay, as always, we'll include those into our show notes and our blog, our Literacy Quebec uh, blog. So uh, listeners, if you're wondering uh, where to get that, just uh, check out the show notes. Thank you so much, Matthew. This has been a really yeah. informative Amazing. conversation. And I feel like we could talk for much longer because it's so complex and there's just so much out there that it's hard to know what's right, what's what's the truth, how to how to find out what's the truth, and then how to tell other people about what's what is the truth in media and then just understanding all the different types of media that's out there. Mm -hmm. so My pleasure. It's always a, uh, an opportunity and a, it's a pleasure for me to talk about our work. In this week's Members Mode, we get to speak with Angelina Lego from our member organization, Gaspazi Literacy Council. Angelina is working hard to develop infographics that are shared on the GLC's website and Facebook, and they're meant to explain issues, topics, or concepts such as media literacy. She talks about the connections between GLC's work and the importance of developing critical reading and media skills. We'll post a link to the infographics and of course will be available on our show notes. Uh, welcome everyone. We're here today with Angelina Lego from the Gaspazi Literacy Council. Welcome. We're really excited to be talking welcome, to you Angelina. today. Thanks. I'm excited to be talking to you too. Do you mind giving us a little introduction about yourself, what your role is at the GLC, and maybe tell us a little bit more about the GLC? Sure. Well, the GLC has been around for a while, but we've just, um, in the past couple of years, pretty well completely rehauled the way that we do things. So it's a really exciting time for us, right? Lots of changes and lots of, uh, lots of growth. We've been reaching out a lot more into the community and doing a lot more focusing a lot more on family, family literacy the past year and a half or so. So I'm the communications coordinator, um, which means that I'm responsible for a lot of the content. So all of the website I, I develop and publish and sort of try to get out there as much as possible, all the content for the website, all the content through our social media, um, and then, you know, I do a lot of graphic design work, posters, 
bookmarks, promotional tools, business cards, and of course, all the, a lot of the, I work a lot on the grant applications and, um, and that sort of stuff. So my medium is words. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> oh, excellent. So you mentioned there that you make infographics uh, for the GLC's website. Is that what, is that what you meant by graphic design, et cetera? Part of it is for sure, for sure. The uh, the infographics are something that we started doing last year. Um, the idea, of course, is to prevent uh, to present information in a in a way that is both eye catching, but also that you know you have an opportunity to to learn something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, that all started well for me. The infographics uh, started. I started seeing a lot of uh, recent shares about health literacy, and all of the articles that I saw people sharing were all from like online academic publish, you know, um, articles, and and the reading level was was really, really up there. And I mean, you know, like I I don't. I don't read medical journals either. <laughs> so it was, um, it was a really popular topic, but it seemed like everybody was talking about it in a language that wasn't really accessible. So that's how the whole, you know, the whole thing started. Well, I thought, well, I can take these concepts and I'm sure I can, you know, bring them into a language and format that is more, um, that people will want to engage with. Right. Mm-hmm. So, is that what you is meant by infographic in terms of a, a combination of using words and graphics um, to what you say to help people engage more with with that infographic? It, that's right. Yeah, infographic is using graphic design to present information. Well, I'm I'm not a graphic designer, so maybe I'm not. Uh, that's my understanding. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And so you started to make the infographics for the GS GLC. Um, why did, is that what you touched on? Is that uh, with the health um, infographics that you saw, you found that it wasn't connecting with your audience as much so that's why you started for the GLC uh, making infographics yeah yeah that's right yeah it started with the health literacy I mean it wasn't just that it wasn't connecting with um you know it wasn't even connecting with myself you know I would go right because I would want to share something about health literacy but then I I always read everything before I post it and um I would read these things and I'd say well you know, I would get bored (laughs) because the language was just not, I mean, it wasn't engaging at all. Right. I see. Can you share with us some of the infographics you've made? So we've developed four so far. Um, We have three published and one is sort of in the bank, uh, ready to go. So we've published, um, so we've done health literacy, media literacy, and physical literacy. We do have another one on multicultural literacy, um, which was by far the most difficult one to develop. Mm. Uh, just because the I think the idea of multicultural literacy is not itself very well defined, and um, and we've got so the reason that hasn't been published yet is because we wanted to um, also put out um, some book lists for all different reading levels on sort of how you can improve your multicultural literacy through improving your, uh, diversifying your library and your reading material. So we wanted to provide a concrete resource for that, which is still, I mean, it's, it's done, but it needs to be reviewed. So. That's a, that's a great idea. Having a way of kind of taking a lot of information in a way that people can maybe relate to better by adding more resources that people can reach out to. That, that's, that's pretty uh, good, I think, uh, for people who want to know more after they've engaged with an infographic. And it really leads into our topic of media literacy. Infographics seem to be one way of gaining some literacy within understanding different types of media. Uh, you you mentioned that you've made an infographic on media literacy. Do you mind describing that one? 
Sure. So our source for all of the information in that in that infographic was uh, Media Smarts, which is a Canadian organization, and it's sort of it presents what first what media is, what media literacy is. So I've sort of reworded to say that it's about making informed decisions about how media affects you, what it's telling you, and why. And then we took um, the five key concepts and just sort of tried to define them in a sentence. So the five key concepts are media is a construct, that it's subjective, that it's a business, that it's a reflection of you know, society, and that it changes depending on what type of media is being used to get the idea across, right? So the whole the whole purpose of the infographic is just to um, encourage people to question what they see. You know, I find that a lot of people think they think of the news as a uh, objective. This is what's happening. This is reality. There's not necessarily a lot of critically engaging with something like a news article put out by the CBC or any other media outlet um, or, or even realizing that, you know, this is an opinion piece that says very clearly <laughs> that it's an opinion piece. But people I'd have a tendency, I think, to think of the news as a reflection of what's really happening and without thinking of it as, you know, a lens through which one person is looking at the world, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, I mean, my next question was actually going to be, you know, how, how do then our listeners can improve the way that they're engaging with media, you know, so that they can make those informed decisions? Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I think that it's the, the, that's the first step is realizing that, you know, I think in particular that media is, it's a business, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. designed to create revenue of some sort. You know, even if that revenue is support for a political party, you know, that there is there is a purpose, there is a goal to it, that it's there to make, you know, it wants you to think a certain way. It, it's asking something of you, um, not just not just, um, you know, reporting events as I mean, even if it is just reporting events. As they happen, of course, whoever's doing the reporting is coloring, you know, what you're, what you're interpreting. Mm. Yeah, I think this leads into our next question. And maybe you've answered already, but thinking about the learners at GLC and uh, using the infographic and keeping the, the steps in mind, maybe you can talk more about how coming with critical eye can help learners or in the general public make decisions during the election. It's it's a big time when we see so many different campaign ads on TV, on the radio, posters, social media. There's like a great influx of information. Do you have any tips for people? Yeah. Part of what led me to do media literacy in particular was um, I read an article that was published by the CBC that said that it was talking about the importance of media literacy in the sense that paying attention to dates in particular, there was a particular example they used of an article that was being circulated again on social media that was from two or three years ago, but it was, you know, people didn't realize it was from two or three years ago. And so it was dealing with an issue that had already been resolved and that society was different at that time of that being published. And so it was sparking a backlash on Facebook and um, and it was because people didn't realize that it was an old article and so that kind of got me thinking about how how much attention do we pay when we're scrolling through you know however we receive our news how much attention do we pay to things like when this was published or who was publishing it or um, sort of the the backstory the you know, to what we're to what we're seeing, we just we take it at face value, right? And I think that that's probably you know, especially during an election time, that's really really important to think about 
where your news is coming from and who is putting it out there. And I mean, it's not just news. I'm using that a lot as an example, but you know, social media in and of itself is, is a, well, a media outlet, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So it's important just to, to pay attention to, you know, what, what not even, you don't even have to go into all kinds of research. It's just asking yourself when you're reading something, well, you know, what, how does this person want me to read this, right? What is the inspiration? What is the, the impetus behind this article? It's about making your internal decisions as you're taking that information in, you, you, you kind of filter, filtering it through, through what you, you know, what you believe is, is to be true or false or, or making those decisions. Is that, is that what, what you mean there? I just mean to, to approach it critically and not to take right. it at, at face value. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday when we spoke, Matthew Johnson from Media Smarts, which, which should be in this episode as well, he was saying that, yeah, the same thing, that just take the extra 30 seconds. It, it seems yeah. like sometimes it seems like a burden, but really sometimes it only takes 30 seconds just to do a quick Google search instead of just maybe mindlessly scrolling on a, a social media feed. Um, just to think about, okay, as you're saying, okay, why did this person uh, post this? What do I think about it? And what is, what are other people saying about it too? That's right. Or even taking the extra time to just to read the fine print, you know, read the byline, read the date, read a few comments at the bottom. Well, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe don't do that. <laughs> but. <laughs> You know, um, I've actually, I've noticed on Facebook recently that um, when, as I'm scrolling through that they'll have, they have now um, sort of a little line that'll, that'll say, if I read, scroll past an article and, you know, oh, for example, so-and-so is missing and underneath it'll say, well, you know, in fact, this is from two years ago and this person has already been returned safely to their home or, um, right. A little, a little link that you can follow that'll be like Snopes.com or, or one of those, uh, I don't know what you call them, not watchdog. Like, like a fact, fact checking. checking. Fact checking, thank you. <laughs> but we learned that yesterday, <laughs> didn't we, Jamie? Yeah. Mm. We'll post links in our show notes to some of those websites if people are interested in doing some fact checking of their own. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's great. It's just... You know, like like your guest said before, it's it's thirty seconds. It's not a. If you're going to take the time to read the article, then you know, take a little extra time just to, just to see. I think you bring up a good point because some people, I, I know, I catch myself doing this, but I sometimes don't even read the article, and then I'll find myself telling someone about a headline I read on Facebook without even really engaging with it. So. I've been trying to to take the time to read an article and then also think critically about what the article says, not just pass along information I saw when I was mindlessly scrolling while waiting for a bus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Well, and the, and of course, headlines are designed to do that, right? They're designed for you to get as much, to jump to a conclusion based on, on what it says. That's, right. one of the, that's one of the tactics, right? <laughs> That's why it's a headline, yep. <laughs> That's it. And, and it's so famous. You've got that image in your mind of uh, back in the newspaper day, you know, the, the young boy uh, standing on the corner yelling out the headlines of, of you know, whatever, um, you know, World War Two or whatever. Uh, uh, I'm just, just thinking of, you know, you've got that image in your mind. But do you think that when people kind of, um, in terms of media regarding newspaper, that um, it was slower information so people you know took in instead of scrolling that you know they're, they're reading the headline and then they're reading their newspaper on the on the train or the bus or you know on their on their break or what have you um do you have any do you have any uh, thoughts on that angelina oh yeah for sure i think i mean i think part of it is also that a lot of our media is is freely accessible now right if you're paying if you're paying to get your newspaper, you're going to you're going to read it cover to cover. And uh, whereas today it's much easier to just 
you know, and it's much easier to post your own opinions online. And it's just everybody's thoughts, everybody's processes are much more accessible now. Um, but also we're, we're, I mean, we're constantly bombarded by media. I think, I think that's part of it too, is we don't even realize just how much uh, we're soaking in. I mean, you can't, you can't walk down the street without being bombarded by media of some sort, you know? And um, I think that's, I think maybe that's the biggest, that's the biggest change. Oh, thanks for sharing that with us, uh, Angelina. It's uh, very, very thought provoking. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so is, is there anything else that you would like to, to add about GLC and, and the services that you offer? Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Do you have any um, <laughs> uh, infographics maybe that you're working on or you have in mind? Uh, we don't actually have anything that is in the works right now, although we're very open to any ideas. If there are any concepts up there that people, you know, not even from our area, but just in general, that people would like to see made into an accessible like this type of presentation uh, we're always open to to new ideas uh for that stuff it's i mean it's a very big broad <laughs> yeah you i can see that you could make a whole series just about so many topics mm -hmm. um uh, the glc you're starting up programs again for the fall are there any new services or programs that you'd like to share um, well, our we do have a um, we have a memory box activity coming up in October to for anybody in the area to keep an eye out for. We're also developing we're developing um, an online tutor training program. That's our biggest project for this year. Although we will also be having family literacy events soon. I was going to say so people can actually apply to become maybe a, a, an online tutor um, for the GLC. Yes, that's right. Um, we're doing we're we're developing this online tutor training program because um, we have a we have a very large territory that we cannot okay. hope to cover in person. <laughs> so uh, so yes, we're we're developing an online an online program so that people can become an active tutor with the GLC in anywhere in our territory. And I expect it, it may end up spilling a bit beyond that as well. That's very exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. So if uh, there are listeners who want to get involved or learn more about the GLC, how can they get in touch with you? Well, we have um, email, Facebook. Uh, we have a website. We also have a YouTube and a Pinterest page. So we're pretty accessible. We also have, um, we have a page on our website that deals with our infographics and also one um, for different types of literacy. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You've really added a lot to the conversation to think about for media literacy and civic engagement. It's been a great chat. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Angelina. So I'm super happy to start this next segment on the election. This week, we're talking about the advanced polling, how to vote early. If you're feeling inspired and you can't make it on the election day on October 21st, then you have a chance to vote early in a couple different ways. Last week, we talked about how to register to vote, how to make sure you're registered. A couple of things to keep in mind. You must be a Canadian citizen, 18 years old or older to vote. You need to be able to prove your identity and address, so you have to bring some forms of identity, and there's a long list that we will provide links for. To register or to check to see if you're registered on the National Register of Electors to vote, you can use the online voter registration service, or you can call 1-800-463-6868, or you can go in person at any Elections Canada office until October 15th. And as I mentioned, you can also register when you go to vote on the 21st of October at your polling station or during the advanced polling days on October 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th. So let's get to it. How do you vote early? From the Elections Canada website, I'll give you some tips. So there are a couple of ways you can vote early. The first way is to vote on the advanced polling days. 
So you can find out your assigned polling station and you can do that by calling the number that I provided for the National Register of Electors or check out their website. And you can go there from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. on the days I had mentioned. So Friday, October 11th, Saturday, October 12th, Sunday, October 13th, or Monday, October 14th. So again, to find your advanced polling station, check your voter information card. You might have received it if you're already registered in the mail. Or you can use the Voter Information Service website or phone line, as I mentioned. And we will post the links and the number on our, our show notes. The second way you can vote in advance is at any Elections Canada office. There are over 500 Elections Canada offices open across Canada. You can vote at any one of them before Tuesday, October 15th at 6 p.m. So that's the deadline to vote at an office. You will vote using the special ballot process. And there are instructions on what that process is on the Elections Canada website, but we'll post a link to that. The offices are open seven days a week, and you can find Elections Canada office near you. So the deadline for that is Tuesday, October 15th at 6 p.m., but you can go ahead of time anytime from now until then to do that. So the third way is an interesting one. If you are a student, you can vote on select campuses across Canada from Saturday, October 5th to Wednesday, October 9th. So that's this week. You can find the vote on campus office near to you. There will also be a special ballot process. So again, check our show notes for a link. The last way to vote in advance is voting by mail. So this is an interesting one if you can't get out to the office or the advanced polling station. To vote by mail, you have to apply online or at any Elections Canada office across Canada before Tuesday, October 15th, 6 p.m. If you're living abroad outside of Canada, you can also apply through any Canadian embassy, high commission or consulate. You will vote using the special ballot process as well. And you can find all of these tips and the links on our show notes. Next episode, we will feature how to vote on voting day. So stay tuned for that. Upcoming events. We are super excited to be featuring our member organizations events. You can find these events on their Facebook pages, on their website, and we will also share them on our Literacy Quebec social media channels as well, of course, in our show notes and in our blog. So the first upcoming event is at the Learning Exchange and starting in October this month and running through January 2020, the Learning Exchange will be sponsoring ABC Life Literacies Upskills for Work Series to Adult Learners. Check out the link for that event. Next up, we have the Western Quebec Literacy Council e-parent workshops on digital literacy, October 22nd and November 5th. That fits perfectly with our theme this week on media literacy. We touched a lot about digital literacy, so you can check out that link. The Chateaugay Valley Literacy Council has English language workshops on the 8th, and the Quebec City Reading Council has the Fall Fest and Traveling Toddler Time on October 18th upcoming and I know Chris will be very happy to know that I'm plugging this upcoming in 2020 is the Scotiabank charity race you might remember that Chris and I and some volunteers and a whole crew from our network participated in this event so the Scotiabank charity race will happen again April 25th to 26th in 2020 we're looking for volunteers runners people who want to donate to help support literacy for this event. As always, you can check out our Facebook page, our members pages for all the latest updates and events. So, hey, that was our episode. It was a great one. I had a fantastic time talking with Matthew Johnson. And thanks to Trisha Grant for helping us set that interview up for Media Smarts. Thank you, Angelina Legault at GLC. Thank you to Chris Shi. He helped do the interviews for this episode and wishing you all the best from the Literacy Quebec crew. We're very excited for you and can't wait to meet your little one. Look out for our next episode, which will be our last on civic literacy 
to help prepare for the election. We get to talk about youth engagement and how to reach out to voters who might not know that they are voters yet. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, as always, please reach out to us. Please subscribe, share our podcast, and write to us at admin at literacyquebec.org. You can send us a voicemail at our phone line, 514-508-6805. Reach out to our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, using our handle at literacyquebec. Have a wonderful day, everyone. I'll catch you on our next episode.